Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we come to you straight off of AEW Revolution with all of my thoughts on the pay-per-view. Plus, Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes go face-to-face on SmackDown. What did Chris Rock being live on Netflix have to do with WWE? And a whole lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam All right. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. I feel like the uh, theme song just kicked in a little odd to start out, and I apologize for that. I don't know 100% why, but we're too far in now. We're in too deep. There's no going back. This is just the way the show is going to start. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Hope everybody's doing great. Uh, I hope everybody's getting very, very excited for your opportunity to see Not Sam Wrestling live. Yes, we are now only weeks away from Not Sam Mania coming to Los Angeles, California. And if you watched the live Chris Rock special, and this is not what I teased, by the way. In the beginning of the show, I said, how did Chris Rock being on Netflix, what did that have to do with WWE? It's not this. But just as an aside, if you watch the Chris Rock's Netflix special, the pre-show of that was at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, California. We will be on that stage for Not Sam Mania Wednesday, March 29th. That's what, I don't know, three weeks, I want to say, from Wednesday, maybe? Three, oh my God, three weeks from Wednesday. Get your tickets at NotSamLive.com for Not Sam Mania, the podcast extravaganza of the year. Uh, guests galore and a whole lot more. Be there, don't be square. You can get your event t-shirt now. Also exclusively at NotSamLive.com when you get tickets for the big Not Sam Mania show, Los Angeles, California, Wednesday, March 29th, 8 p.m. at the Comedy Store. The only way you're going to be able to see it live is if you see it live. So see it live. Get your tickets. Uh, and speaking of seeing it live, I'm sure we all saw uh, the big AEW pay-per-view live. We've got a lot to talk about uh, today, but I come to you straight off of Revolution, and I know you guys like when I jump into the podcast booth immediately after watching these pay-per-views and premium live events. Just so you know, I have not yet watched the media scrum because it hasn't happened yet at the time of this recording, but as we go, the media scrum will probably turn on. So if there's breaking news or if anybody destroys the company, uh, you will be 
you, well, I guess you'll know as soon as I do, right? Uh, AEW knows how to put on a pay-per-view. And AEW, I feel like, has been entering into an interesting period of time where the honeymoon period is starting to wear off. And, well, not starting to wear off. It's pretty much worn off. And I feel like it's actually gone the other way, where for a long time, a lot of people would just blindly kind of support AEW because it was the new, cool, fun thing in wrestling. But I really feel like lately there's been more people being unfairly critical of AEW and looking to kind of nitpick every single thing that they do wrong and, and almost take glee in anything that goes wrong for AEW, which I think is a, is a, it, well, it's a, it's, it's a tight rope to walk. It's, I have no problem with having loyalties to whatever organizations you have loyalties to. I have no problem with being a fan of whatever you're a fan of. But when you're actively rooting for an organization to not succeed, and when you're actively blinding yourself to the things that they do well, so you can celebrate in some weird way the things that they don't do well, I think that you're doing yourself a disservice more than anything else. The one thing I will say about AEW is that they know how to do pay-per-view. Some AEW pay-per-views are better than other AEW pay-per-views, but I don't know that there's ever been a bad AEW pay-per-view. And AEW Revolution was a very good AEW pay-per-view. Top to bottom, it kept me entertained. It fe it felt like like they really know. Like I was dreading. I'm not going to I'm not I'm not going to kid you here. I was dreading going into the show because I have to get up to work in the morning. And I'm looking at this card. And you've got an eight-match card main evented with a 60-minute Iron Man match. But man, did they keep this show moving. This show was shorter than other AEW pay-per-views have been, even with a 60-minute Iron Man match and seven other matches, which is incredible because none of the matches I felt felt cheated. None of them felt unfairly short. It felt like you got everything done that you needed to get done and that you used your time effectively. And I think that that's essential to modern wrestling. It's not part of maintaining uh, attention spans that keep getting shorter is not necessarily making things quicker. It's just filling up the minutes with stuff that matters. And I feel like that's what happened at Revolution. We should start where we ended, of course, with the Iron Man match between Brian Danielson and MJF. And there was a lot of uh, speculation, not speculation, um, trepidation going into this Iron Man match because everybody knew what Brian Danielson was capable of. You know, I think that that, I mean, we've seen it in AEW, what Brian Danielson is capable of doing for 60 minutes inside of a ring. I don't think that there's any question as to whether or not he could probably do two 60-minute Iron Man matches back-to-back, -back, but MJF has never done anything like this. In fact, MJF is so character over in-ring wrestling based that he's actually bragged about it. He's come on this show and bragged about being an attraction. And attractions generally don't do high-paced 60-minute matches. So there was that kind of thing. How is this guy going to uh, uh, survive in a situation like this? And not only did he survive, 
he thrived. Uh, I thought a, a wonderful story was told over the course of 60 Minutes that that started from the beginning. You could tell that that Brian Danielson was was telling the story of a of a of a wrestler who was fully not only fully capable of a 60 minute Iron Man match, but was was chomping at the bit, couldn't wait to get in there for the full 60. He was ready to start the match. Uh, action, action, action. Whereas MJF was also aware of what was in front of him and and who he was against. And the first 15 minutes of the match was really MJF strategizing. You know, he took a water break like 10 minutes in. He was going for near countouts, roll in, roll out, take a stroll through the crowd, dump a drink on a kid, which I would hope that Tony Khan is hooking up that mom with an autograph pack for that wet kid. Uh, it didn't seem necessary, but it is MJF after all. And I'm going, is this the story? Or is this Max trying to figure out how he gets through 60 minutes? And the answer, it was the story. Because once you hit 45, the action started to ramp up. 15 minutes in, 45 left. The action started to ramp up. And this story keeps building on itself and building on itself and building on itself to the point that you probably have, I mean, I would have to look at other Iron Man matches, but the most action, second for second, that I think I've ever seen in a modern day 60 minute Iron Man match. It was it was really remarkable to watch the rate at which these two were going. And you know, the way they figured out I like that there were multiple falls in this match. It made sense. You know, the fact that MJF is has never wrestled a match that I think they said on commentary was longer than 42 minutes or whatever the time was, it would make sense that MJF would not be able to get through 60 unscathed. It would make sense that even somebody like Brian Danielson might have trouble, and they covered that up well with MJF eating the disqualification through the low blow and then picking up the two falls. I don't know that Brian Danielson stays down for two falls after a low blow, but maybe it was a really solid hit to the dick that kept him down on the ground because he got his two falls. Now they're at two, two, they're going, they're going. I just thought it was, it was really an incredible watch. The blood comes, starts pouring down. I mean, there, there were, even I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat during some of those submission holes where Brian is, is reaching for the ropes and Max is reaching for the ropes. And they can't get it. I mean, I, I, I just felt like, it's a very difficult thing to do when you, by the time the match starts, you've had almost three full hours of heavy action-packed matches. You've had barbed wire. You've had aerial assaults. You've had powerhouses. You've had everything. And now you've got to keep that same crowd entertained for the next 60 plus minutes. And that crowd was on the ride with Brian Danielson and MJF. That crowd was on the ride and 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 was with them every single step of the story. And ultimately, that's what professional wrestling is. It's using your physicality 
to take the audience on this journey with you. MJF was able to prove a lot of people wrong and add certain tools to his arsenal. MJF is now able to step forward and say, I am capable of this, I am capable of that. MJF now becomes a, a larger threat because this skill set that we had never seen evidence of, we have now seen evidence of. But it was all done in such a way where he didn't lose any of his heel credibility. If MJF is just way more excellent than we thought he was and just wins this Iron Man match with honesty and earnesty, MJF risks becoming a babyface. MJF is no longer a heel. But if we can put some sneakiness in there, if we can have him tapping out while he's holding the rope, so he's tricking Brian Danielson now, if we can have him use a couple of foreign objects, if we can have him manipulate the rules and then break them, well, now we got, we got ourselves a real heel. They went with the full-on WrestleMania 12. I felt like the body of the match was reminiscent of the Triple H rock match in some ways. And then the finish was straight up WrestleMania 12. I mean, straight up Tony Khan speaking with Tony Schiavone, Schiavone playing the role of Gorilla Monsoon as he talks to the referee and says, you know, we're going to keep this match going. Now, the difference is, and even to the point that Bret Hart had the sharpshooter on Shawn Michaels when the bell rang, and you could speculate that Bret would have won. Uh, MJF actually tapped as soon as the timer went off. But it, I, I would speculate, this is something I've talked about on the podcast before. I would speculate that once you know the match is over, it only makes sense for you to start tapping. Once you know that it doesn't count anymore, you should tap immediately. If there's no referee counting to three, there's no motivation for you to kick out. If there's no submission call to be made, you should start tapping immediately because hopefully your opponent won't be thinking on the same level that you are and he'll release the hole. But however you want to call it, it was the WrestleMania 12 finish, which is great. I think it's a, it's a perfect... Uh, Iron Man match finish. Uh, I think the WrestleMania 12 finish at 0-0 was probably better for Babyface Babyface, whereas this one was better for the story that was being told. And, you know, I mean, ultimately, even the finish was really good. I thought that uh, opening, I thought that the MJF's entrance made it look even bigger, right? MJF's entrance made it feel bigger it it felt more spectacular it felt it felt more like an event having that that uh orchestra come out and play mjf's theme song uh and then the finish itself i i i really liked the camera angle we talk about the production value of aew i really liked the camera angle where the camera was down hanging out with mjf and mjf is holding that oxygen tank because when the oxygen tank in the water came in the ring after the 60 minutes was hit, I thought to myself, I don't know that that's the greatest idea. We've seen Iron Man matches before. You would have to think that a lot of AEW fans are hardcore wrestling fans. 
So a lot of AEW fans have seen Iron Man matches in WWE and Ring of Honor, wherever, wherever. But you don't really see oxygen be carried into the ring. With Sean and Brett, they didn't need oxygen. With Hunter and Rock, they didn't need oxygen. Even the 30 minutes with uh, Sasha and Bailey, they didn't need oxygen. So I'm like, why are they, you know, I don't know if they need to bring in oxygen to make it seem like these guys are totally whipped to that degree after 60 minutes. But then I said, uh, yeah, but, you know, they were they were fighting at such a rate for such a large portion of the match that maybe that's how you get away with it. But all of that was wrong. It was a device. The oxygen came in as a device to get us where we're going. It's like the loaded gun theory in a movie. If in act one of a movie, a loaded gun is introduced to the story, by the time we hit act three, somebody had better have had a gun shot at them. Though the oxygen being brought in for Brian and Max at the end of the match, or so we thought, it was the loaded gun theory. It was a device to get us to the point where MJF is sitting outside the ring and he's holding that oxygen tank and the camera's aware of it and we're aware of it. And MJF is, is kind of, the way he's looking, he knows that the camera's on him. He knows that we, the audience, are aware of what he's about to do. But most importantly, he knows Brian Danielson is not aware of it. And even more importantly, that the referee is not aware of it. So as long as that's all, the he doesn't care. He doesn't care if the whole world knows that he's about to cheat. As long as the referee and his opponent do not know, he's good with it. And that's exactly what it was. Now, the fact that if he had hit Daniel Bryan with the thing and then just rolled in the ring and pinned him real quick, then it would have been like, oh, Daniel Bryan should have won that one. But the fact that it kept going just a little bit, the fact that that after Brian had him in the submission hold, when they restarted the match, Brian wasn't able to finish him right away. It lent to this thing where Brian Danielson loses absolutely nothing having lost this match. Brian Danielson has only gained even more so, I think, in the eyes of the audience. But even more importantly, MJF doesn't leave this going, yeah, but he didn't really win. He really won. And that is the most important thing to get him to whatever his next story is. Did he really won? Now, what is his next story going to be? I don't know. Ricky Starks? MJF, I feel like... <sighs> that's the other thing. After a match like this, MJF's stock has raised even further. He's now beaten John Moxley on pay-per-view and Brian Danielson in an Ironman match on pay-per-view. So the next big opponent for MJF has to be on that level. I feel like it has to be Adam Cole, right? I mean... You know, I, I wouldn't mind him having another confrontation with Ricky Starks. It was great to see Ricky Starks get the victory over Jericho tonight. But the next several months would have to be spent elevating Ricky Starks to the point that he looks like he's going to be the face of the company in order for him to be a suitable pay-per-view opponent for MJF at this point. I was, honestly, I thought that the show would end on an angle. You know, the fact that that a villain, a heel, was leaving the show as champion. I thought that that for sure, 
they would end with some kind of angle that would fill us in on whoever's next for MJF, but they didn't. Uh, and and maybe that's because they're not ready to start telling that story yet. Keep in mind, they do quarterly, not monthly pay-per-views. So maybe we're not quite ready to start whoever the next big opponent is for MJF. You know, if you're going to end on an angle, it has to be huge. So I, I, I don't know. I honestly thought that tonight was going to be the night that CM Punk came back. Um, and I think I mainly thought that, well, I thought that for a couple of reasons. Number one, because all of the uh, AEW like fan stuff that happened over the weekend where they show like uh, new action figure releases and all that, they showed off two different CM Punk action figures. One of which... I thought it had been canceled or postponed. And another just hadn't been introduced. They, they showed Ringside Collectibles is getting a two-pack, a bloody two-pack of MJF and CM Punk from their dog collar match. And they're doing a, a CM Punk LJN style figure in one of the AEW sets. And with, with, with that being brought back, because to me, it's a matter of time. You know, I, I CM Punk being as active as he is on social media, AEW being in this position where they need a story that's hot again. I think uh, CM Punk and MJF just won rivalry of the year for the Wrestling Observer as if people don't remember what a big story that was for AEW. And I guess I kind of thought that, that as hot as things are getting, and, the, you know, there's rumors that the elite is is, is going to be leaving AEW or at least Kenny Omega is, who knows? I don't know if that's true. I don't know when, I don't know what their contract is like. I don't know, but man, I feel like whenever cult of personality hits in whatever arena it hits in, the crowd is going to go absolutely wild. And I think that, that, as WWE is heating up as much as they are. I mean, WWE is as hot this WrestleMania season as I remember it being. And it's been hot from before the Royal Rumble, like this whole time. Even last year, I mean, WrestleMania was huge, but the Royal Rumble was a disappointment. They had to rebuild between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania to get to the point where they got to for WrestleMania. Right now, WWE is 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 super hot, and that's not really debatable. I would have thought that AEW would go, okay, well, if WWE is going to be hot, if we get CM Punk back in here and start that MJF CM Punk story again, that's going to that's gonna just raise the bar on the whole industry because now AEW is going to have a white-hot story. People still want the world title portion of the MJF CM Punk story. And honestly, I think that if CM Punk is back in AEW, his story with MJF is way bigger money and way more interesting to fans than doing anything with the elite. I don't I don't think you need to make business out of that personal issue when you have an angle that can be hotter. I think that, that when you have a personal issue, 
and it becomes so big that it overtakes your angles, then you got to make an angle out of it to make your money. But I don't think that by definition, something being perceived as real is 100% of the time going to be better than the story that is being told. And as a matter of fact, as storytellers, your goal should be to tell a story that's even more compelling than the real life. And if there's any story that could be more compelling, it's that CM Punk MJF story, especially because they can bring real life into it. Because MJF can bring up now, now you'll do this? You tried to take this away from me. You didn't want me to get hot on your dime. When you won the world title, I came out and what did you do? You tried to make everybody forget about me by making it all about a bunch of other guys and getting all of you guys kicked out of this place and leaving the whole company on the shoulders of me and a couple of other guys. And now, now that I put the company on my shoulders and it worked, now that I got to the point that I got to without you, now you want to come back? Now you want to be a part of this? Now you want to leech off of my fame? And I should give you a, a shot at this championship. That's the MJF that we get. That way, we get the brawl outside of things happening in real life, but it's the angle of the story that nobody talks about, which is not who bit who, how's Larry the dog, and, and why were people throwing chairs. It's the real casualty of the CM Punk brawl out press conference was the MJF title chase that was coming up. What CM Punk did before, by the way, he got himself suspended, before the other guys got suspended, before the brawl happened, before there was any physical confrontation, CM Punk took a moment that everybody was talking about with MJF returning and getting ready to chase CM Punk for the title. And he made everybody forget about it. And that's something that the character of MJF should still have a problem with. And that, to me, is what that story should be based on. And that's a story that I want to see. All weekend, speaking of MJF, people were talking about uh, whether or not MJF was going to go to the WWE. They said there were rumors that... MJF had told somebody, one of his friends at WWE, he couldn't wait to be there next year, that MJF was planning to go to WWE in 2024. Look, I have no doubt that MJF is planting stories about wanting to go to WWE in 2024. I have no doubt that MJF is telling people that he wants to go there, but that's because there's a, a storyline the guy wants to negotiate and get as much money as possible. But in real life, the guy wants to negotiate and get as much money as possible. And sometimes we work ourselves into a shoot, brother. And that's part of this game. And I think that that's what's being played. You know, people talk about MJF going to WWE and going, well, he wouldn't be able to be the full MJF because WWE wouldn't allow the language. And that's true, you know? WWE wouldn't allow MJF to go out there and use foul language. They wouldn't allow MJF to dump cups of water on kids. They wouldn't allow some of that stuff. 
But that's not what would make MJF different. That's not what makes MJF. MJF would be MJF if he was dumping beverages on kids or not. The difference that MJF would have going to WWE is number one, he wouldn't be the biggest fish in the pond anymore. And I know that I don't want to refer to AEW as a small pond because it's not. But MJF being one of the top stars in AEW makes him a star. But when he goes over to WWE, right now, today, he's not Roman Reigns. He's not Seth Rollins. He's not Cody Rhodes. He's not Sami Zayn. He's not Kevin Owens. He's not the Usos. You know what I mean? There's a whole list of people that it's like, you're not bigger than these guys. So that's one thing. But I think the big, and he could be, right? I mean, okay, but two weeks after he delivers home run promos, all of a sudden he is. Maybe. But I think that the biggest difference would be that it seems like to me MJF has a lot of input in his creative in AEW that MJF gets to tell his stories. And I don't think that would be the case in WWE. I think that would be the difference if he went to WWE. He would have to, uh, I don't want to say follow orders, but certainly be far more collaborative and willing to eat shit than maybe he has to be in AEW. And... So the question is, is it worth it, right? You could go, well, I can be the writer-director of this project that I have, that I've worked on from the ground up over here. And then, you know, make a little bit of money, good money, livable wage. And, you know, and this is my thing and I live and die by it. Or I could take the big money and, and Marvel Studios has a superhero movie that's been written and they said I could direct it. Which one do I want to do? Do I want to be fully in control of my own destiny? Or do I want to be a top dog in the industry? I think that, that is, is the decision that MJF is going to make. And maybe the argument is he's going to redefine what it is to be a top dog in the industry. And that's very possible. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. It's hard to believe that MJF, as big of a wrestling fan as he is, secretively, that he wouldn't want the opportunity to compete at a WrestleMania. You know what I mean? Like, those are just things that you want to be able to do. So, aside from the Iron Man match uh, at Revolution, uh, like I said, I thought the whole pay-per-view was good. Uh, I was happy to see Starks beat Chris Jericho. Uh, the, the Jungle Boy Christian match... Uh, the bumps were crazy. You know, there was one that where Christian went into the guardrail, the flat back onto the steel stairs that Jungle Boy took. But I loved the effect because, you know, they, they, they changed it. And this is why, you know, AEW, I, I hope, gets better at doing week-to-week -week television where they're building towards a pay-per-view. Because like I said, the pay-per-views are great. It's just making people know in advance that they're going to be great, right? Like, 
I don't know anybody that really knew that the Christian Jungle Boy match was going to be a, like a, a last burial match, right? I guess that was made on Rampage and not that many people watch Rampage. So I'd still thought it was a no holes barred match, but it was a last burial match. You didn't really know what it was. Coffin match, buried alive match. Well, it was a combination of the two. And I, I, I think the, the collective shock we all had when the lid was shut on Christian and the coffin just instantly disappears into the ground. I thought it was great. I thought the effect, it was really funny, but it was also really good. I feel like it's one of those things that is, it could be memed forever in a ton of different contexts, which you want in this modern world. I thought it was really good. I thought it was one of those things that, that could have been really bad had it not worked or had it even just worked a little bit differently. It was a risk, but I thought it paid off. I thought it was really, really fun and really, really cool. Uh, obviously, the trios match was very good. House of Black winning. Interesting. Good for House of Black. I thought they should have won. But I am interested to see what's next for the Elite. I mean, I, you know, if they're not the trios champions, what are they? I feel like Omega and the Bucks combined can't really be anything but the best trio if they're going to be a trio. So interesting to see where that goes. Um, we had Jamie Hayter retaining uh, in the triple threat over Soraya and... Uh, Ruby Soho, but of course, the most interesting part was that Ruby Soho goes full Hollywood Hogan and betrays uh, 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 Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, and uh, Jamie Hayter. This was the first time, Revolution was the first time that I watched uh, the Lady NWO that's starting over there, the women of the WWE coming together with this takeover thing and was like, you know what? This is actually pretty good. This is what we've been waiting for. This is a, a, a story in the women's division that is not wrapped around a title, that is not, it's just a story. I mean, I guess it's wrapped around a title, but not really. I hope that they go full NWO. They should. They should be interrupting women's segments, spray painting the green spray paint, but I mean like really taking over the division. AEW hasn't supported us at all. You women haven't been where we've been. We know how women are supposed to be treated and they're not treated right here and you let it happen. So we're not gonna let you let it happen anymore. Something like that. But I thought it was interesting. Wardlow getting that decisive victory over uh, Samoa Joe, choking him out, which I guess Samoa Joe now goes back to, focuses more on Ring of Honor. I think that now that Ring of Honor is running regular TV on Honor Club, they're going to start to really separate those rosters. Uh, but I thought it was the right thing. It's interesting, though, because you go, well, Powerhouse Hobbs should be champion. I can't imagine that Wardlow loses the title already, but I don't think anybody wants to see Hobbs not win. So, I don't know. It's interesting that they're already doing that match. Uh, oh, before that, we had the Texas Death match between uh, John Moxley and Hangman Adam Page, and I'd never, ever like to see Hangman Adam Page, uh, I, I'm sorry, I never like to see John Moxley lose. I do not like seeing Mox lose, especially in an AEW ring, but if he's gonna lose, having the Hangman hang you is just too beautifully uh, poetic. 
I like death matches. I like this one. Some people don't like death matches. It's not your thing. Uh, I know John Moxley is getting trolled for bleeding in every match. It's what Mox likes to do. Mox does his thing. And then, uh, you know, with the four-way tag match, real good four-way tag match, I thought uh, when the gun club won, I was like, why? This was so obviously should have been the acclaimed beating Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. That way, we we don't have the crowd favorites, Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy taking the L. And the gun club haven't gotten pinned, which means that they get a rematch. But I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking, see? The reason the gun club won that but didn't pin the acclaimed, which is important for later, was so we could get our big return. FTR coming back to a huge ovation. Dak stepping out of the podcast studio to get back in the ring. Uh, a, a, a very welcomed return for FTR. And, you know, I think now that we know that FTR is back, the acclaimed having the title complicated things because nobody really wants to see them lose. And even when the gun club won that four-way, the air was kind of let out of the building for a second. And then that FTR music hit and everything was okay. So glad they're back. But yeah, overall, a uh, really good pay-per-view. Forgive the interruption, guys, but look, uh, we all know when it's time for an upgrade. I just upgraded this whole studio. For those of you that have been watching on YouTube and everything, you know I had to change everything. And why? Because I didn't like the energy in here. Just like I'm sure, look around in your room right now. You got like a kind of frat house energy going on. You don't want that. You want that mature. But as you mature, don't lose your essence. Don't stop celebrating the things that you love. Upgrade to posters that won't peel off the wall. I'm talking displate. I'm talking the metal poster that adds class to any room. They have officially licensed designs from Star Wars, Netflix, Call of Duty, and so much more. You can even get your own artwork printed onto these one-of-a-kind metal posters that only take 20 seconds to install. Look, you can still have your favorite artwork on the wall, but just don't look like it's a piece of paper that you taped up there. Your poster comes with a magnetic sticker. So you just pop it on the wall and hang your poster. No power tools, no wall damage. Easily switch out a new poster in seconds. It's really, really cool. You can click the link in the description to see some of our favorite displays and save up to 34%. You get 27% off when you buy one or two. And then 34% off when you buy three or more. Discounts will automatically be applied to your cart when you click the link or use the code NOTSAM when you visit Displate.com. That's D-I-S-P-L-A-T-E.com, Displate.com, code NOTSAM, or click the link in our show notes. It was a big live event weekend in general. You had the, Netflix is doing live shows now, and I'll tell you why, and you're going like, how does this relate to us? How does this relate to Not Sam Wrestling? And I will tell you, with Netflix doing live events now, because the Chris Rock comedy special was Netflix's first sort of dipping the feet into live events, and you may think it's a stretch, but realistically, Netflix is is 
one of the people that would benefit from having WWE programming on. As as all of these streamers kind of look to how do we grab as many eyeballs and as many, more importantly, subscriber dollars as we possibly can, what if Monday Night Raw and SmackDown were live? Because as wrestling fans, you have to watch live. Otherwise, you get spoilers on the internet. Like, it, it's affected when it's not live. But what if they were live on a streaming service? Netflix has just shown that with all the eyes in the world on Chris Rock, they were able to flawlessly deliver this live stand-up special. So who's to say that they won't figure out a way to do, wait, even if it's not WWE, right? I mean, you've now got Major League Baseball and soccer on Apple TV. You've got football on Amazon. I don't know if basketball is streaming. I would imagine that they are. I don't follow. But with all these streaming platforms figuring out how to do live, it's only going to open the door for more possibilities when you look at where WWE specifically is going in the future. Because it's not just going to be about streaming the library. It could potentially be about streaming the live events, just like Peacock does with with the pay-per-views every month or six weeks or whatever it is now. Uh, I mean, ESPN Plus does it with UFC. The UFC model is that you have to be subscribed and this may be the way somebody does it in the future, wherever things end up going for WWE. That we're so used to you subscribe and you get the premium live events as part of the package, right? When you had WWE Network, it was like $9.99 a month and you get all the pay-per-views. Now it's like Peacock, if you want ads, five bucks a month. No ads, 10 bucks a month. It's weird that I've seen people actually complain about the ads on Peacock. Because it's like, if you just pay the exact same amount that you were paying for the WWE Network, there won't be ads there. The only reason there are ads there is because you're paying like five bucks a month for every pay-per-view in the entire WWE library. That's the trade-off. It's not more, it's the same price as the WWE network was. You get no ads and you also get the office and Megan's on there. So Megan, the office and the WWE network, I pay my $9.99. So I don't deal with the ads, but all that's to say that on ESPN plus you have to subscribe to the platform, which is whatever fee it is. I have the Disney Hulu ESPN plus bundle now. And then you also, on top of your subscription cost, you have to pay $80 for a UFC pay-per-view. That's insane. I did it. And if I'm doing it, and I'm not a hardcore, I'm just like, yeah, I'd like to see the event tonight. And I'm paying the 80 bucks. You can only imagine how many people are doing this. That's hand over fist money. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. If we do at some point see a WWE sale, if they move onto a different streaming platform, whatever it is, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see an event like WrestleMania cost $80 on top of whatever the fee is to subscribe. And maybe it'll be cheaper to subscribe. Maybe it'll be five bucks a month and you'll get the WWE tape library without ads, but it'll be like $80 if you want to watch the pay-per-view. I don't know. We'll see. And we'll see if it works. The other thing is UFC never gave away their pay-per-views. UFC went from you have to pay $60 or $80 or whatever it is to watch our shows on cable pay-per-view to, okay, now you can stream it 
you have to subscribe to ESPN and you still have to pay the same amount. It's a little bit more difficult, I think, to convince people to pay when they haven't been paying. So we'll see, but John Jones came back and just dominated at UFC. It was great. It was great, but it was, it was a big weekend all around. You know, you had Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns one-on-one, -on -one, the big return match. It happened at a live event, not a premium live event, a standard live event. And uh, that would be terrible if they started calling him that. At a live event in Toronto. Uh, I think a couple of the Not Sam Shills were there to see it in person. So that's really cool. Really cool to see it in person. I saw some people holding on to hope that Sami Zayn was going to win the title and in Toronto at this house show and then somehow get lumped in. At no point did I think that that was even conceivable. At this point, it's done, right? It, it, it It's over. We're going with Cody versus Roman. And I especially thought that, I felt that they made it very clear on Friday, if you're going to see Sami versus Roman on Saturday, have a great time. But the opening segment, for SmackDown on Friday, made it so clear, this is the story we're telling. And it goes back to what I was talking about on the show a couple of months ago, I feel like at this point, that the way you do it is to make the bloodline and Sami Zayn's story a separate story from Roman Reigns. That's exactly what's going on on WWE television. Sami Zayn is going out there and he's having, uh, who did he fight? Solo? Challenge Jimmy Uso to a match on, on, on Raw. And yes, there is still crossover because the bloodline is Roman Reigns' bloodline. Roman Reigns said, if Jay is not back in the bloodline by next SmackDown, Jimmy, I blame you, not Sammy. But what that does is it even separates Sammy from the Roman story further. So what we've got is, we, I would imagine we're somehow going to end up with Sammy and Kevin Owens on the same page. I believe Kevin Owens has a match with Solo on Raw. Sammy and Kevin Owens on the same page. And the story of Sammy and Kevin Owens is they are trying to stop the bloodline. That's totally separate from what is going on in the main event of what I can only imagine will be night two of WrestleMania. The top tier match, the poster for WrestleMania came out. On one giant side, a huge photo of Roman Reigns. On the other giant side, a huge photo of Cody Rhodes. And then under it, a whole bunch of other superstars. But this is the match, Cody versus Roman. And what is the story of Cody versus Roman? Well, if we weren't sniffing it already, it was clearly spelled out on SmackDown. When Roman Reigns, and I thought this segment was great, Cody Rhodes steps into the ring. And this is how great Cody Rhodes is. Because all of the reports that, uh, oh, WWE is worried. WWE is worried that Sammy might be too popular, that people will be cheering for Sammy when they want them to cheer for Cody. I don't believe even one of those reports. I think those are falsehoods because even when Sammy was getting cheered to his absolute peak, even when Sammy was stepping into the elimination chamber in Montreal, at no point did anybody not want to see Cody in the WrestleMania main event. See, this, this is the, is the thing that people are, are failing to realize. People are making all these comparisons 
to Sami Zayn and Roman as a, a, and Daniel Bryan and things like that. That this is another one of those a thing happened organically and WWE's not listening to the fans. This isn't what that is. Because at no point since last year's WrestleMania have any fans said we don't want to see Cody. Fans said we do want to see Sammy, but they never said we don't want to see Cody. When Sammy and Roman are in the ring together, nobody says we don't want to see this. When Sammy and Roman are in, they go, this is what we want to see. But when Cody and Roman are in, they go, yeah, this is what we want to see too. And I talked about that a few weeks ago when they were going through. It's like that, that that's what makes this situation so unique. When Sammy and, and Cody are in there together, oh my God. When Roman and Sammy are in there together, oh my God. When Roman and Cody are in there together, oh my God. And by the time we get to WrestleMania, there is no doubt in my mind that people will be so invested in this Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns story that this will clearly be, it will clearly feel like the right call, I believe, that night, April, what is it, 1st and 2nd? So probably April 2nd in SoFi Stadium. Because everything, like like the 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 slow over the course of a couple weeks, build to this real thing, with Roman having a relationship with Dusty, the fact that Roman and I hope he does this, is on the verge of practically dedicating the match to Dusty. Like Cody said, I'm doing this for the legacy of my father, and Roman said, No, 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 I'm doing it for the legacy of your father. I'm one of Dusty's kids. And Cody brought up Dusty's kids on the SmackDown promo. And I love that because it is so based in reality. If you go back to the interviews that I did with Cody Rhodes in Rahway, New Jersey, when he had left WWE, there's two of them and they're fantastic. Dusty's kids comes up in those interviews. And Cody talks about the fact that he had a real problem with the Dusty's kids thing. That that while Cody, Dusty's actual kid, was sitting there in WWE, struggling, trying to get ahead, trying to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, that the guys that were getting over and the guys that were getting all the opportunities were quote unquote Dusty's kids. Well, what am I then? And finally, it's almost as if Cody, upon leaving WWE, realized that who knows, maybe several years down the road, maybe after I start my own rebel wrestling promotion, maybe after I make the big splash I'm going to make on the independents, maybe then I'll be able to return to the WWE and we'll be able to tell this story of what it felt like when Dusty's kids, quote unquote, were the ones that were accomplishing everything I, Dusty's actual kid, wanted to accomplish. I mean, that to, to me, you know, it was one thing, like Paul Heyman, he has an art of going in there and being able to make it hurt. But when Roman does it, he does it, like you know, like Paul Heyman, you see him enjoying stabbing you in the gut. You know what I mean? When Paul Heyman does it, it seems like he he knows how much this hurts. That's why he's doing it, and he's enjoying it. 
when Roman does it, he's looking at you. And this is the mental torture that he's put all the members of the bloodline through. Roman is looking at you like, I don't understand why you have a problem with this. What else were we gonna do? This is what we're supposed to be doing. When Roman goes, Cody, I talk to your dad all the time. We'd go in, we'd have these conversations. And you know what he said about you? Nothing. It was like you didn't exist when I talked to him. The idea that, that, that I mean, it's so dastardly that Roman, months ago, hears Cody Rhodes saying that he's on a quest to honor his father. And Roman decides to take that and go, no, 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 no. I'm the one who had a relationship with your father. I'm the one. I mean, I was waiting for him on SmackDown when he, he did a dusty impression and it was a good impression too. People don't know Roman Reigns is an impressionist. You can go back to that show Countdown from the WWE Network, which I was on, and you can hear Roman Reigns doing a Paul Bearer impression. It's incredible. He did a dusty impression on SmackDown. That takes a lot of balls. Roman Reigns is in this position where he's the head of the table, right? He's supposed to be flawless. And he gets in front of 10,000 people in an arena. And he goes, here's a Dusty Rhodes impression. That takes balls. He pulled it off. It was good. He said Dusty said that he had it. I, I mean, do you think that Dusty ever told Cody that Cody had it? I'm worried this is going to come up now. How much salt are they going to pour in these wounds? Boy, anybody that's had any sort of paternal issue, anybody that's ever been in a scenario where they've needed father's approval is going to relate to Cody in this one. Beautiful promo on SmackDown. Just just great and, and exactly what this needs, right? Depth. Depth. It's not just Cody finishing the story. It's Roman trying to take that story from him. Now, if Cody doesn't win, not only does he not complete the story, but now Roman actually takes Cody's story. Roman says that he, I beat you for your father. I, I won this for Dusty. I miss him. You're welcome. Ah, uh, ah, uh, it's Shakespearean. I love it. I love it. The build of WrestleMania uh, for this match has been great. Um, I'm assuming they'll do something with the women's tag. Uh, we started to see the build for the Intercontinental Championship match at WrestleMania. Obviously, Gunther is going to face somebody, be it Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, LA Knight, The New Day. Karrion Cross came out there. I don't know. Everybody came out going, yeah, I'd like the Intercontinental title match. And I don't blame them. Why not try to get on that card? But apparently, uh, Kofi had his ankle injured during that match uh, or, or confrontation. That when Drew went over the top rope, it was just a bad landing. And Kofi apparently has an injured ankle, which I hope does not keep him off the WrestleMania card. I don't think anybody uh, uh, really knows um, how uh, severe the injury is. Um, but, yeah. You know, it's interesting. What you could do. I would, I would, I would put Ali into the Intercontinental Championship match in Kofi's place. Why not? Who, what's the worst that could happen? I'll tell you why. Because 
few years back, four years ago, Ali got injured and uh, lost his opportunity to be in the Elimination Chamber match at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. And so the week before the Elimination Chamber, they did a gauntlet match. And Kofi Kingston won that gauntlet match, and he did such a good job in that gauntlet match that people realized, I don't just want him to win the Elimination Chamber, I want him to win everything. And then he went to the Elimination Chamber, and he didn't win the Chamber match, I don't think. No, he did not. He did not win the Chamber match. But people watching it were like, oh my God, I want Kofi to win this thing. And it started Kofi Mania. Kofi Mania was all started based on the butterfly effect was Ali's injury. And so let's see if we can do it in reverse. Throw that thing down, flip it and reverse it. Let's see if we put Ali in Kofi's spot, if we could start Ali Mania. Because if there was ever a time to start Ali Mania, now is the time and I'll tell you why. 30 seconds of this new gimmick of Ali. And I loved it. I mean, I'm like a fangirl. I'm a stan. I'm, I'm leaving comments on Ali's Instagram because I like what he's doing so much. Ali, who people, and they doubted it. They, you know, Ali being annoying with Ziggler. How come you get this? How come I don't get this? How come you get this? How come I don't get this? And people are like, where is this going? How could this ever pan out to anything good? Ali has his match with Ziggler. He's able to, to scoop one out. Okay. Ali won a match, but still, was it worth all that? And then last week, we see Ali's new character. We see him with the with the hat on and his hair all coming down. He's the, he's the prince of positive thinking now. He's Mr. Motivational Speaker. He's the one that's dropping all those quotes all over Instagram. He's the Gary V of WWE. He's all about thinking positive, and hustle, baby. Except you can't use the word hustle. Because even though like motivational people use the word hustle, you don't want him to confuse it with the John Cena hustle. So he probably shouldn't say hustle. But just, just the idea of this sort of social media false prophet of positive thinking is 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 so is so good. It, it it's something that is out there so prevalently, you know. Like the guys who tell you to to make your goals list or your your gratitude list or whatever I mean you know whatever it is there's 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 such a cottage industry of motivational thinking now more than ever because of social media and like some people are real some people are true to it some people you can really take away inspiration from but a lot of it and I mean a lot of it is just so shallow and built on nothing. That to see Ali one week, in one week, just realize that he's figured out the secret and now it's on him to share that secret with everybody else is just such a, 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 a wonderful kind of obnoxious. And, it, it, and it's a person, we all know that person. We all know that guy and none of us can stand that guy. Like, shut up, dude. No, I can tell you what's wrong. Don't worry about me. You fix you. I'll worry about me. No, no, no. Here's you gotta you gotta fix this. You gotta change that. Thank you. I love it. 
I love it. I'm so into it. And I feel like Ali's commitment to it, like he's the perfect person for this. He's basically the perfect person to play any character because when you look at, at the, the characters that Ali has played, the things that he's done in WWE, there's not that many people that have his level of commitment to what he's doing. Even if what he's doing isn't great, right now what he's doing is great. But even if what he's doing on paper isn't great, he clearly puts everything that he can into all of this stuff, right? Whether it's retribution, whether it's anything. Like he's gonna try to make it work. He's, he's, he's the guy who's out here, you know, when he's not even on TV, really, making his own promos and, and posting stuff on Instagram. Remember a few years back when he would go, he'd get a video guy and, and they'd kind of make their own vignettes to just post just to say, this is what I'm capable of. This is what I can do. There is there is an element of truth into the Ali character, clearly, because he is a guy who doesn't sit down and wait for it. He is a guy who gets up and gets it and who tries to make everything work. But to deliver the message in, the, in such a way, to deliver the message like this is such an obnoxious way to do it that I have no choice but to respect it. Speaking of SmackDown, a lot of people were uh, talking about the Uncle Howdy and, and Bobby Lashley segment. Um, you know, Bobby Lashley showed up on SmackDown and uh, and he called out Bray Wyatt, but Uncle Howdy responded and uh, took out Bobby Lashley. And people were analyzing Uncle Howdy's laugh. That's what they were doing. They said, we figured out the mystery because we heard Uncle Howdy's laugh and he sounds very familiar. And I go back to what I said before, man. I think if, if that's what you're doing... I, I think that you may be kind of searching for the wrong thing. Like, I, I don't think that the mystery of Uncle Howdy is who's behind the mask. When you say who is Uncle Howdy, you're not asking who the person portraying the character is. You're asking who the character is. Who is this Uncle Howdy? What are these powers that he summons? What does he symbolize? I don't know. I mean, maybe at some point, but I, I think right now the intention is not to unmask Uncle Howdy or to create some narrative of who's behind the mask. Like That's very wrestling. And clearly, whether you like what's going on with Bray Wyatt or you don't, what he's doing is not traditional wrestling. It's more cinema it's more horror narrative it doesn't matter what is behind jason Voorhees' hockey mask ultimately i mean his, his name's jason Voorhees. it's not to hide his identity it's to hide his horribly scarred face michael myers who's under the mask who's on it's just it's michael myers is the essence of evil it's not about secret identity like this isn't a whodunit this isn't scream this is a slasher well i guess scream is a slasher but uncle howdy is the monster so i i think to to spend time trying to figure out look i mean it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who's behind that mask in real life but I don't think that has anything to do with the story. So if you want to talk about who's behind the mask in real life, just to be like, here's a behind the scenes story. Okay. 
But if we're having conversations on furthering storylines and, oh, there's more to Uncle Howdy because, I don't think that the person behind the mask has anything to do with it. I think, what I mean, Uncle Howdy's worn like two or three different masks. Sometimes Bray Wyatt's wearing the mask. I think Uncle Howdy is an entity that is is far greater than any one individual behind a mask, or at least that is what we're meant to see it as. That's what the character is. So that's where I kind of fell on the on the laugh. I, I didn't, I guess I didn't really look into it. Uh, let's get to some of these emails right now. If you want to email us here at the show, it's notsamwrestling at gmail.com, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I believe it was this one. This is from Nick, who says, uh, Sam is a big fan of both men involved. Uh, I think the first challenger for Cody is obvious. Uh, Raw after Mania, Cody comes out with both belts. He talks to the crowd, recaps the importance of the win, etc. I hear voices in my head. Randy Orton comes to the ring. Look, it's a great storyline. The only reason... We don't discuss Randy Orton when it comes to fantasy bookings and storylines is because we don't know the extent to his injury. So this is why I can't, like, you know, I I, I can't. Okay, and, and by the way, this says we set up Randy Orton versus Cody for SummerSlam. We're not doing a story between Randy Orton and Cody that starts right after WrestleMania and then finishes at SummerSlam. That's April, May, June, July. It's five months. Cody will hopefully have more than one opponent over the course of five months. But yeah, I mean, I'm never, of course, eventually we all want a Randy Orton versus Cody match, but he's injured. What can we do here? Steve says, uh, hey, Sam, look forward to the podcast every week. I was wondering if Roman loses those titles at Mania against Cody, uh, where would you go with the head of the table gimmick and the bloodline altogether? Roman has to turn babyface eventually. How would you book the transition? That's a great question. Okay, so yeah, Roman has to turn babyface. I think Roman disappears from TV for a while. I think the bloodline kind of disbands. I think the Usos continue to exist as a tag team. And I think Solo, Solo might even take some time off. Actually, I don't know. But I think it would it would all kind of center around Solo, right? And I think Solo would start to be built and start to be built. And I think after a month, maybe, two months even, you'd realize there'd be some reveal. And it would be very similar to the reveal before SummerSlam two or three years ago when you saw Paul Heyman on the couch next to Roman. Paul Heyman would be off TV as well. And eventually, you'd see Solo and Paul Heyman together. And I'd build Solo, and I'd build Solo, and eventually I'd put the Usos with Solo until you realize that the bloodline has been reformed. And then maybe at SummerSlam, maybe you've got Solo versus Cody at SummerSlam. Maybe you've got the title separated by then. I don't know. But I think at some point you get Solo to his top point, and that's when Roman finally comes back as a baby face and you've got solo versus Roman with Roman as the baby face. I think I would have to look like way more into that. That's a very sort of bullet pointed, just jotting down, responding to your email in this moment way of responding to that. But 
at some point, maybe I should, maybe after WrestleMania, I'll craft a podcast of, of the whole story. Um, Charles says, hi, Sam. Thank you for reading my email. Uh, the blah, 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 your judgment day theory. Okay. Your judgment day theory is rather superior to my quick fire email about priest versus, uh, Brock Lesnar. Um, okay. I don't know, man. Too much, too much going on. Uh, Seth, uh, says, uh, good afternoon, Mr. Sam Roberts. Thank you very much for getting my email, blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay. Thank you. You got it. I, you know, I, you know, if you, if, if I just did yours, it's okay. Uh, Matt says, uh, I enjoyed your take on the Elimination Chamber in WrestleMania, but I've been saying this since the Rumble. Zayn should have beat Roman at Elimination Chamber. Then on Raw, during the Sammy celebration, he begs Kevin to come out. I'm not doing revisionist history. Uh, Jim says, Sammy Brand Muffins, with Mania season here and the Chamber in the rear view, uh, we know the build for the main event picture is all Cody and Roman. Yes. The rest of the story is Cracks of the Bloodline. Uh, with your B or 1A story, yes. Feels like Tag Team Championship, yes. Uh, if you're breaking up the Usos, do it now. If you break up the Usos, you're breaking up the bloodline. Uh, if you're breaking up the bloodline, you're 100% putting the belt on Cody. The real question is, do you put the belts on KO and Sammy? I think it's a coin flip. Maybe it's a cons consolation prize to KO and Sammy, but what does it get them? A three-month run before KO turns on Sammy again. What do you say? Um, I don't know. I guess you put the titles on KO and Sammy um, so that you have that moment at WrestleMania. I'd almost be okay with the Usos beating them at this point. I think that the Usos should maintain themselves as a team, quite frankly. I think that if they leave the bloodline, they both leave the bloodline. I think instead of Jay not coming back and J I think Jimmy goes with Jay instead of Jay going with Jimmy, if that makes sense. If they're going to leave the bloodline, they leave together. But I don't think that that happens yet. I think that maybe they get their stuff together, they lose at WrestleMania, then they both leave the bloodline right after WrestleMania and they stay a tag team. I think uh, Sammy and KO take the tag title. I think it is important that you don't do another turn just because you've done it so many times. And I think that, you know, they have a tag title run and they have their run and then eventually they lose it and that's that. And they go on to have their separate stuff. But I think at this point, we've seen enough of the of the, uh, of the the turns between KO and Sammy for a while. Uh, Kyle says, what's the haps? Uh, been listening to the podcast since you ranked every WrestleMania. Let's talk about Bray Wyatt. Have you noticed that Bray, since Bray joined Uncle Howdy, the red circle turned gray? I did not notice that. Also, on a Ruby Soho action figure, she has the same tattoo as Bray's Moth Firefly logo. Uh, yeah, I think that that probably has more to do with with the Moth. I mean, it's very similar to the logo from Silence of the Lambs, the movie. I don't look into that. What are your WrestleMania predictions? Whose side is Jay on? You're asking all these questions, man. You got a, basically three podcasts in your email. Um Let's go to uh, some of these I've already answered in other emails. Uh, David says, hey, Sam, love your podcast. I've been listening for about two months. Wow. Uh, what if at Mania we get Sammy and a mystery partner versus the Usos for the belts and the Usos barely win because Jay doesn't want to hit a 1D on Sammy, but they still win. Mystery partner is Kevin Owens. Then after Roman and Solo come out to beat up Kevin Owens and Sammy, then John Cena 
help Sammy and KO. Then on SmackDown, Roman gets mad. At, no, none of this works for me, David, because Roman's not going to be involved in this match at all. He's got a whole other story with Cody Rhodes. Money in the Bank, it's Cena and KO versus and Sammy versus Roman, Solo, and Jimmy. No, I mean, all of this is as if we weren't getting Roman versus Cody. So this doesn't work for me at all because it doesn't factor in Roman and Cody at all. Uh, Jason says, love the Judgment Day domination at WrestleMania. What do you think about Damian Priest winning the Andre Battle Royal as well? I don't know. I've heard rumors that WrestleMania is going to be smaller this year. I don't even know if they're doing the Andre Battle Royal. But if they are, I think that that's a very good idea. Um, Enrique says, it is an honor and great experience for American Nightmare Cody Rhodes to be going head-to-head -head at the table with Roman Reigns. Uh, but sure, this time the Tribal Chief is going... Okay, whatever. Uh, Ronnie says, I love your show. I listen to you all the time while I'm at work. I met you once a few years ago in NYC. It must have been a thrill. Uh, I've uh, uh, My question concerning the Bloodline story, do you think them doing a triple threat for the title with the stipulation being Roman wins, Sammy or Cody can never challenge for the title as long as Roman is a champion? Bonus question, what do you think about Gunther versus Austin Theory, winner-take-all IC title and US title? Okay, no, I don't think we're getting a triple threat at WrestleMania. And no, I don't think that... It, I, I don't see why we would combine the IC title and the US title. And I don't think Gunther versus Austin Theory... I mean, we just see Austin Theory get killed to Gunther, right? Because you don't want to see Austin Theory beat Gunther. So doesn't work for me, brother. Uh, let's see. Uh, one more, one more. Uh... Hey, Sam. Oh, yeah, Shiamo, my friend. Do you think NXT are shooting themselves or have already by having Carmelo Hayes literally go through everybody before winning the championship? Only Ilya Dragunov and Braun Breaker are the only two guys left for him to beat. Well, I mean, you got Dragon Lee coming in. Hopefully Grayson... Well, no, Grayson Waller's probably going to lose to Dragon Lee, but I don't know, you know. I, no, you know, it's almost like Either you put Carmelo Hayes on the main roster or you put the title on him. He's got to be the champion at some point. And I think you bring in Ilya Dragunov, you'll have Dragon Lee, uh, and you can bring other people in from the main roster. You can hopefully build people up to the main event. And NXT is pretty good about having a plan. You know, I think at some point, maybe a split with Trick Williams. If Carmelo Hayes is going to go babyface, maybe a split with Trick Williams. So now you've got Dragon Lee, you've got Trick Williams... You've got a rematch with Braun Breaker, maybe, and you've got somebody from the main roster. You know, you got enough there, I think. I don't think it'll be a problem. All right, guys, I appreciate y'all. Have a great week. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. If you want even more content, it's patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. And make sure you come out to the live show. Yes, Not Sam Mania happening at the Comedy Store, the same place, the same room where they did the live Chris Rock pre-show on Netflix. That's where we're going to be. Get your tickets now at NotSamLive.com. We're going to start announcing guests very soon. I think you're going to be very excited when you hear all the people that are going to be there. Uh, it's going to be a podcast extravaganza unlike any before. NotSamLive.com is the place to get tickets. It's Wednesday, March 29th at 8 p.m. We'll see you then. Have a good one, everybody.